Go ahead and turn with me to 1 Peter. You defined an example of genuine faith. Uh, we began looking at 1 Peter, the reason for living hope. It's all summed up in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Uh, the response to living hope, and then today the results of living hope. And it's a tested faith, something that can be proven, something that can be tested and still be true. One way that I thought about this is in the house that we, we lived in towards the end of our, our time in Brazil, it was a, a house that, that we had built, and uh, it was up against kind of a, a small mountain. There were a lot of trees right along the, the property line, and unfortunately, a lot of those leaves would fall into our gutters. And I quickly discovered that some of the gutters that we had around the house were not large enough. They would get uh, uh, stopped up quickly. And then as the, the construction, the way it is uh, a lot of times in Brazil, the water ran over the gutters and onto our concrete slab roof. Uh, so it's not airtight or watertight. So it would run over the gutters onto the concrete uh, slab roof. And then it would find a low place, maybe an electrical you know, opening, a light opening, and come into our pantry uh, and several times even damaged our, our uh, sheetrock and things like that. So that was something I had to get repaired quickly, right? So I began to talk with the gutter company of, okay, how can we you know, change the gutter, the downspout, so that this doesn't continue to happen? And I cleaned the gutters often. I'd go up and I'd get all the leaves out. Uh, but we, we changed them, I think, twice. Went to a little bit larger gutter. That still wasn't enough. We were still having water come in, you know, to our house at times. And then I got even a larger, you know, gutter and downspouts installed. But it, it was dry at that point. So I couldn't really tell, you know, is this going to work? Is this going to really resolve the problem? And, and in a way, I was looking forward to the next big rain, the next big storm. And we were close to a, a small mountain range there, so we had some pretty heavy storms. And when the storms came, they came seriously, and a lot of rain came with it. And the wind and the lightning and all that thunder. So the next big storm, I was kind of like a little kid. I was anxious to see, are the gutters going to work? Are the downspouts big enough? And so I, you know, I went out and I observed that, and joy came to my heart as I saw the water flowing freely leaves coming out with it, it was big enough that it had solved the problem. Or in essence, it had, it had been proven, tested, and it was work. It worked. The solution was good. This happens with our faith. We like to test other things. You may have gotten a phone, a new watch, or, or, a, or a camera or something that says it's waterproof. And that very first time that maybe you jump in a pool or you take it in the shower or whatever, you kind of wonder, is this going to work? Is this really waterproof? If you go to Ikea, I've mentioned before, that's one of Kim's favorite places. And if you go to Ikea and walk around, you'll see sometimes these, these boxes and the chairs that are in there and a machine that is testing the rocking chair or testing the, the, the footrest that comes out showing of how many thousands of times they test those products before putting them on a market. Some of you who maybe have gotten a, a notice from a dealership, Honda, Ford, Chevrolet, whatever it is, a recall. Why? Because once it gets on the road and once it has driven maybe 10, 20, 30,000 miles and there's enough complaints about an issue, a recall is issued like it was recently for our pilot and our Odyssey. I had to take him back to the Honda dealership and they had to repair something because it had been tested and it was not proven good. There was, there was not a, a, an easy solution. So I had to take it back in and they changed it again. So there's importance of testing something to see if it is genuine. 
1 Peter 1 says, says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. How many of you have something today that you're wearing, earring, necklace, ring, something that's gold? Okay, that you, you just raise your hand. Keep your hand raised. That's gold. All right, look around. Okay, so that's, it's a common thing, right? It's, gold is used often. Now, how many are wearing something like this? Anybody have something that's raw gold? And you just like found it in your backyard and like, yeah, I'm going to make a ring out of that. Well, no, I mean, it's not as pretty. It's not as useful. So gold is refined. It's passed through the refining process and uh, the, the impart, the, the dirt and the things come to the surface and it's taken away so that the gold is refined. And we have different levels, you know, the 18 carat, the 24 carat, and, and we want to see the gold shine. But yet even as important, even as valuable as gold is, this verse tells us that our faith, the tested genuineness of our faith is even more precious than that. Notice 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that it is inexpressible and filled with glory. So the, the refining process is we are an heir of the living hope and then as our faith is tested, this should be the result of that. That our love for Christ, even through those difficult times, grows stronger. That our trust in him, our confidence in, in him grows stronger. I'm going to go through just a few things that God has allowed in, in our life as a family and as individuals. Some of these stories you've heard at other times in different ways. But I, I want to go through just a few things of how I've seen God do this with me and with us. And I hope is that I go through these things that maybe the Lord will recall to your mind some difficult times, some dark nights, some financial crisis that, that you've been through and how you've seen God work. Speaking of a financial crisis, I've shared with some of you that on our first furlough and we uh, had a, a group that was wanting to go down to Brazil. I worked as a, uh, kind of the middleman to help purchase tickets uh, just a few days before they were supposed to go down, right before Easter uh, weekend. Uh, I found out that the flights had been canceled. Long story short, we were swindled about $17,000. I didn't have that kind of money. We were missionaries. <laughs> so I didn't have a spare seventeen dollars you know, that I could just put down for another, you know, for more 20 tickets. But in that process, God showed himself faithful in the months uh, to come that even though we didn't have $17,000 and we repurchased the tickets so that the trip could happen, God came through and he provided abundantly and we could trust that God knows what he's doing because at first I was frustrated I thought God why would you use your money like this why would you allow $17,000 to be to be wasted in this way this was money that was supposed to be for your work and God was saying David wait I'm just going to show you show you that I have a whole lot better plan how about loss of life Jessica was born two years later. Christina was born about two years later. Audrey was born. In fact, Jessica's birthday is today. Amen? So she was, uh, she was born on Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's, that's right, Faith. Good, good. So Jessica's birthday is today. She was born on Thanksgiving Day uh, in 1998. Uh, Christina was born in 2000, and then uh, Audrey in July of 2003. And then there was a time where we wanted more children, and we're praying for more children, and God didn't bless, and so we were, were waiting. We thought, well, maybe this was it. And then Kim got pregnant. 
And we're excited. We begin to think about, you know, is it another girl? Is it a boy? What's the name going to be? And uh, where are we going to put uh, this, this new member of the family in our house? But I'll never forget being out grocery shopping with Kim, and she lost the baby that day. And again, I thought, you know, God, why did you even allow Kim to get pregnant? I, I, don't, I don't understand that. If you weren't going to allow us to, to receive the baby in our family, then, then why even the pregnancy? But I was reminded of a passage that meant so much to me and to us at that time, Romans 8, 31. It'll be on the screen. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And as I read that, the grief was real. As I read that, the physical consequences even of a, of a miscarriage were real in Kim's body. And all these things were going on. But I thought, okay, this is truth. Let's meditate on this. And then verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And that verse alone meant so much to me. As I was reminded that, hey, God gave his own son and sent his son to die on the cross for us. So although we're experiencing the loss of a child, God the Father knows even more of what that's all about than I do. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, verse 37 says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then the verse that we, we love, verse 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He proved himself faithful. We grew in our love for him, as 1 Peter 1 a says. We grew in our confidence in him, even to this day. I, I can't tell you uh, that I understand completely why that happened. I, I don't understand all the pieces of, of why God allowed that at that moment, but we grew in our love and our trust in our Savior about health hardships. After Kim's hysterectomy, she had a very difficult recovery, different than what the doctors had expected you know, and even told her. And although we didn't physically see Jesus you know, by, the, by the recliner in our living room or by her bedside, uh, there were days that were dark and they were, they were, they were long and we wondered, you know, is Kim going to, and she even wondered, am I going to be the same again? And Am I going to get through this? There, were a lot of, there was a lot of fear. One of the passages that God brought to mind was Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Then verse 5. The Lord is at hand. And because of that, we see in Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Through that process, and even the, some of the long-term results and effects of that surgery, we've been able to see that we can love Christ more and trust in him greater. How about broken relationships? Many of you have experienced the pain of that. Many of you would, would quickly choose a surgery, would quickly choose a financial crisis, but then the broken relationships... The summer of 2017, I, I don't think I'll quickly forget, probably until maybe dementia, but until then, I'll remember driving down the driveway, Neil Drive in Macon, Georgia. My brother-in-law was in the seat next to me. We were about to knock on the door of my father-in-law, who we had 
just discovered days before, had, we, we knew that he was going through some spiritual battles, but in, in a few days before that, it had come all out in the open, and, and we were discovering so many things, and we knew we need to lovingly confront our father-in-law. I had driven down that driveway hundreds of times from when I began to first date Kim at 14 years old, but that night was different. I did not look forward to the conversation that I knew that I needed to have. I I prayed, God, give us wisdom. Go before us. Help him be broken. Help him to be repentant. And as I sat in the living room and opened God's word and I said, Dad, we love you. Don't allow this sin to enslave you more. Allow us to help you to conquer this and to be restored to God the Father and your family. When the years to come after that, although he was not repentant, God comforted us with Psalm truths that we find like in Psalm 68. Psalm 68, 3 says, But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. I want to tell you, there were many times where Kim and I did not feel that way. We didn't feel like rejoicing. As I watched my wife grieve, really kind of the early loss of a father who she'd enjoyed a great relationship for about 40 years, but then changed suddenly. As a father, I couldn't help but, but, but hope that maybe I would wake up the next morning and that I could be able to tell my children, my, my, my father-in-law's grandchildren, listen, it's all just been a bad dream and Papa's the same as he's always been. But yet, we were reminded as we continue on in that passage, it says, exult before him. Why? Because Psalm 68, 5 says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Yes, we've grown to love him more and trust in him greater. Just a little over two years ago, October 23rd, 2021, I remember sitting at our table and uh, mom had just been sent home from uh, the hospital, Emory Hospital. We did not expect her to be in that position just about 12 days before that. Had been diagnosed at first with lung cancer. And then a the long story, they, they figured out that it was, it was just staph infection that had gone in several places of her body. And so she was sent home on hospice care. And because of her age, didn't really expect that there was anything else that could be done. At the time, we were in the process as a church family. Some of you may remember this, of uh, changing and moving, transitioning from Alatoon Elementary School, the services there, here to Northwest Classical Academy. Some of you may remember the, the nights that we spent sanding the walls in some of the classrooms down the hall and painting. And uh, It was an exciting time, but an overwhelming time at the same, at the same time. I remember watching my dad grieve because he knew that apart from a miracle, he would soon be a widower. And all of that, that Saturday night kind of came to a point. And I wept. I felt overwhelmed. I said, hon, how, how can we do this? Mom is downstairs on hospice care. We're trying to move our services from one place to another. I'm exhausted. I'm grieving. Dad is grieving. Our kids are grieving. How can we go on? But yet God has shown himself strong. I wouldn't have chosen any of those things. I wouldn't want to go through those again. 
But as our faith was tested in many different ways, I can stand here this morning, thankfully, and say, and say to you, our faith is genuine. That's not to my glory, it's not to Kim's glory, but it's to God's glory who keeps us in him. Remember that a few weeks ago, how we're held in the hands of God the Father and God the Son, and nobody can take us out of his hands? Remember that we looked a few weeks ago who God who keeps us secure in heaven, our inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, it cannot be corrupted. So that's the encouragement as I look back is, yes, it's been tried in finances. Yes, it's been tried in health things. It's been tried in loss of life and broken relationships and feeling overwhelmed in many different aspects. But it's true. It's not a placebo religion. It's worth it. It's genuine. That is a tested faith and reason that we have to rejoice. Verse one, chapter one, verse eight again. Though you have seen him, you, though you have not seen him, rather, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And then notice verse nine. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In essence, this is what refined faith looks like. So as our faith is tested, and if it hasn't yet, it will be, my friend. But know that your faith in God is strong enough and his word is strong enough and the Holy Spirit within you is strong enough to help you to endure and to come out the other end and be able to say, this is what a refined faith looks like. This is what genuine faith is all about. And it says in verse nine, the outcome of your faith or the salvation of your souls. In essence, we don't only have the living hope, the future living hope to look forward to, but we have the living promises now. This is the salvation that we can enjoy now. That even through the broken world, even through all the brokenness that we, that we are faced with, that we can come forth because of God and say, wow, it's genuine, it's true, it's worthwhile. The key question is, what are you focusing your attention on, your circumstances or Christ? So part of this profile that we're building as we go through the letter of 1 Peter, one is the air of living hope, and that kind of encompasses all things. But then after that, you could add to your profile as being defined in Christ as one who is an example of genuine faith. So not only do we have a tested faith, but then notice next we have divine rewards. Look again at verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 1. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to, and get it, result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What an encouragement it is to be reminded of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. What a blessing it is to be reminded of Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And then notice now, as you're back in your passage of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, notice what God himself does for us. And after you have suffered a little while, we looked at that last week, how our, our suffering is temporary, the God of all grace... We looked at that also, that with every trial, with every difficulty, there is a grace that God shows to us that matches that. We're never going to go through a trial that God's going to say, oh, goodness, I don't have grace for that. But it's always going to match. It's always going to be sufficient. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, 
That's a reward that we can't compare to anything else. He's called you to his eternal glory in Christ. And then notice, will himself. He doesn't send an angel to do this. He doesn't use a pastor or any, any other spiritual leader to do this. Will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. These are the rewards that God himself will bring to us and give to us. Some of you may remember during the COVID pandemic as students graduated, especially those who graduated from college, many of them during that time frame received their diplomas and academic rewards in the mail. Some of you may recall some of the pictures that, uh, that, they, you know, that were done. Some of the, the graduates would you know, dress up and they would open it in their living room or maybe on their back porch or maybe even on the beach. And it was kind of like this, you know, this weird thing where you're celebrating with people looking on their Facebook or their Instagram page as they open up their diploma, something that they had worked you know, three, four, maybe even five years for. But yet there's ne- there will never be a time where God says, no, you know what? I'm going to send somebody else and I'm going to, I'm going to mail you this. But he says, he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In summary, the test of genuineness of your faith is even more precious than gold. Gold can be stolen. Gold can break. Gold can, can lose its value. And I want to show you a modern example of this. Okay, so next, next slide. This was launched in 2015. This is the gold edition of the Apple Watch. How many of you own two or more of these? One? Anybody own one? They were sold from about $10,000 all the way up to the most expensive edition, $17,000. But unfortunately, as of 2018, just three years after it was launched, it could no longer be updated with the iOS uh, Apple software system. As of this year, it's considered to be obsolete. It can no longer be repaired by Apple. So some people have a $17,000 watch or remnants of a watch that just sits around. But in contrast to that, we have a faith that is even greater than that, is more, more valuable than that. And part of the reason of that is we see from eternity past God's plan of redemption being revealed even through the prophets. And that's what I want to look at next. We'll begin this and then finish this part uh, next week. But the revealing of living hope. The revealing of living hope as we see it through the prophets and then on to the disciples and even something that the angels look into, the verse says in 1 Peter 1. These, these things remind us of the longevity of the, the eternity past sovereignty of God in his re- plan of redemption. A couple weeks ago as I had a chance, as many of you know, to spend some time in Bali, Indonesia. Many, many hours, I wish I'd kept track, but many, many hours we spent in two 15-passenger vans. And they weren't the large 15-passenger. I mean, they were pretty tight. And so we were in these 15-passenger vans, and I had not expected, although, you know, I knew to some extent, you know, Bali is tropical and, and all this, but I had not expected that much of the island is very, very dense vegetation, so as we would go on these windy roads and, and travel to, you know, to different places of interest, sometimes there were temples, sometimes there were other things, we kind of got this tunnel vision. And a lot of times, even though you know, somebody would say, yeah, you know, the ocean is just right, kind of just right over, over the, the, the area there, I, we couldn't see it. We just saw trees and trees and trees and more trees and then, and then a lot of houses and little mom and pop stores and then smaller houses and sometimes even very poor areas. And some, many times I wished, 
I'd love to have a helicopter and kind of get above and be able to see, you know, the, the vast area of, of where we're going and what we're seeing. I wish that maybe in this 15 passenger van there was a button that I could go, you know, zoom out, right? Like we do on the maps. And I could, I could zoom out and kind of see everything. But we have a, a tunnel vision. So Peter, to help us, not to just live in kind of our time frame of our lifespan, he reminds us this is something that was prophesied years past, centuries even before. Join with me in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. This was foretold by the prophets. I'm reminded of a teacher of mine in high school. He, he loves God. Thankfully, um, he's still alive. Uh, Jim Souden, and he taught history. This wasn't new to him, but he would often remind us as a class, he, he would say, as he got up to teach, he would say, this is not just facts and figures and geography and kings and queens and wars. This is his story. And we want to look at how Christ has worked through the timeline of history. And in a way, that's what Peter's doing here as he's, as he's showing us salvation, this living hope, was foretold by the prophets this isn't a new thing. This isn't a new release. It's not a, a new idea. It's not a religion that has evolved and become of what we see it today. No, this has been foretold by the prophets. Notice verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. John chapter 5 and verse 39, Jesus says this, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So he's speaking to those who are very familiar with what we know as, or what we often talk about as the Old Testament, but that was the scriptures that they had at the time. And Jesus says, listen, you spend so much time in the scriptures, and that those are the ones that testify about me. In essence, all throughout what we consider as the Old Testament is the, the thread of redemption pointing forward to the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 24 I won't read the passage uh, for, for time's sake, but verses 13 uh, through 24, Jesus meets with these men who are on the road to Emmaus. And he begins, they don't know at first who Jesus is. They, they don't recognize, you know, who it is. And, and they begin to, to talk about things that have happened and that how, you know, uh, Jesus was, was crucified. Uh, but notice verse 25 of Luke chapter 24. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So let's look at one of those sections of the prophets in the prophet or in the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, now Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, this is a messianic passage, but we'll start in verse 4. Verse 6 is uh, it, very special to me because God used that verse specifically, e even in my life, to bring me to Christ. As my mom shared that with me as a young boy, to say, hey, you're a sinner. I know, mom. But Christ has borne your sin. Christ has taken on himself your sins. Well, let's start in verse 4, and then we'll make it to verse 6 in a second. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. 
And then verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Fast forward now, over 400 years later, Philip is preaching, he's seeing things happen, but then the Holy Spirit says, hey, I have something else for you. And he goes to this desert place where there's one man who's sitting on his chariot. There were probably others accompanying him because he was an official, but but the focus was on this one man who was sitting in his his carriage there and and he was reading in Isaiah. And as Philip comes up and he, he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the man responds, the Ethiopian eunuch responds, well, is this man talking about himself or is referring to someone else? And he was reading in the book of Isaiah. And Philip began at that point, in verse Acts, Acts uh, chapter 8 and verse 35, it says this, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, this passage in Isaiah, he told him the good news about Jesus. I love that. Because this isn't just a modern religion. This isn't something that is just of the United States of America. This is way before that. This has been prophesied and began all the way from eternity past, God's plan of redemption. And from the very beginning of Adam and Eve and the creation of the first man and the first woman, as soon as they chose sin, God's plan of redemption that was already determined from eternity past went into motion. And from that point, as we read in Genesis chapter 3, all the way until Sunday, November 26th of 2023, it's the same plan. And we looked that it was foretold by the prophets. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 11 says, Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The prophets knew that they were foretelling, they were prophesying of the coming Messiah, but they didn't understand all of the details. They didn't know know, exactly how this would come to pass and how all of these prophecies would be fulfilled and exactly, you know, how it would, Christ would be uh, uh, punished and, and persecuted in that way. One way that we can see this is even through John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a transitional prophet. He was born just before Jesus. He was ordained by God to be a foreteller, to be a forerunner of Jesus Christ. And he'd even said at some point, he'd even seemed to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. But when things got difficult and when he was imprisoned, he sent some of his disciples to go and to ask Jesus to say, are you the one or should we look for someone else? And notice Jesus' response, Luke chapter 4. And it says this, Go and tell John that you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Then notice in Luke 4 verse 16, Jesus himself, what he does. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then notice what he says. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture, this Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah has been fulfilled in your hearing. Very thankful that our faith can be tested. It can be tried. It's genuine. It doesn't perish as, as sometimes even gold does, as valuable as gold is. But we have a faith that was even foretold by the prophets. Next week, we'll see that it was continued by the disciples in the early church. And it was something that even the angels look into to this day. They're, they're curious about. They, they don't fully understand. But as we see... All of this about the good news of salvation that you and I proclaim. That if you're a follower of Christ, you, you, you are an heir of this living hope. You possess this. Millions of believers before us have endured trial after trial after trial. And it's tested genuine, true, worthy. Last few days, many of us have no doubt uh, shared things that we're thankful for. One of our just simple traditions at Thanksgiving is usually before we begin Thanksgiving dinner, we just kind of go around of everybody who's there and say, hey, you know, mention something that you want to thank God for. We did that again this year. It was a blessing to hear that. And some of you maybe even have, you know, talked about your blessings and you might have seen things on social media or maybe even a napkin or a plate, you know, that says blessed or, or blessings. But oftentimes when we think of that and we think of those words, we don't think of the trials. We don't think of these things that in, in, in really in truth, First Peter says, these sometimes are even the greatest blessings. In Laura Story's song, she puts us this one and it's called Blessings. And she says this, we pray for blessings, we pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while you hear each spoken need. Yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? And what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise. I want to encourage you that as you maybe are facing a trial right now, that instead of, of giving into the temptation of being bitter and angry and frustrated, lean more into the God and lean more into your faith that can be proven true, that can help you to come through that, not escape it oftentimes, but to come through that with the help of God and the Holy Spirit within you so that you come to a point that even as you continue to face the difficulty, you can say, I rejoice. I praise God Almighty as an heir of the living hope. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning?